Amen. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Well, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. I want to welcome you to our final week of our series, Dual Citizen. And in this series, we've had a key, key verse that we've challenged everyone to memorize, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this series, we've been talking about how we are both citizens of this world um, of, as I imagine most of you or all of you sitting in this room today, citizens of this country, but also citizens of heaven. And we've been talking about how our dual citizenship, how our citizenship in heaven should inform and affect the way we live here in this world and in this country and how it should affect the way we live our daily lives and how we uh, conduct ourselves, but also how we vote and things like that uh, that we've experienced just over this last week. Now, uh, when we originally planned this series, now uh, at Element Church, we are usually three to four months planned out uh, at any given time. Um, and so we know where we're going for Thanksgiving, as Cameron just talked about, uh, for the Thanksgiving season, our new series, The Table, uh, Where Life Happens, discovering how um, The Table um, really shapes and forms who we are and those that we experience uh, the table with. And uh, we have our Christmas uh, sermons planned out. We have uh, our messages planned out for the beginning of next year. Um, and so we were planning this series back in the spring, uh, knowing that we wanted to do this series in preparation and in just to kind of be in line with what's happening in our culture and our country and our community without any knowledge of exactly how it was going to go. Now, I'm guessing I'm like many of you, back in March and April when we were planning a series, we had a generally good idea of how it was going to go, uh, probably not well, and, uh, and, and we were just trying to anticipate the struggle that many of us would feel uh, going through this time and that season in our country and providing some perspective. When we planned this series, we planned for this message to land on the Sunday after the election, that we would close out the series actually after the election, just to highlight that everything we've talked about is still true regardless of what happens in the election. Now, three to four months ago when we were planning this series, I assumed when I stood up here to preach that we would know how all the elections turned out. I think we probably do, um, but it's been a little more delayed than probably most of us are used to. But the reality is, that even though our opportunity and our time to vote in this particular election season is over, the realities of being a dual citizen, not only a citizen here, but a citizen of heaven, those realities and the way it impacts our lives don't change. And so we're going to continue this series and bring some closure to it this morning um, as we just continue to reflect on how our citizenship in heaven impacts the way we live here. And as we've been talking about throughout this series, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, or in particular, how Matthew in his gospel says it, the kingdom of heaven. And as we've been talking about the kingdom, we've said that the kingdom is the rule and reign of God. We've looked at it from three perspectives, the rule and reign of God in our hearts, the rule and reign of God in our community, our Christian community, where, where the kingdom of God actually begins to manifest itself in this world, and we've talked about the kingdom, the rule and reign of God in this world. And so we've been looking at it from different perspectives. And to do that, we've been looking at how Jesus describes the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. 
There's actually seven parables in Matthew 13 that Jesus tells specifically about the kingdom. And most of the time they start with the kingdom is like or the kingdom can be compared to. And we've been looking at those parables and sort of looking at what Jesus was trying to communicate and allow that to help us understand how we see and experience and understand the kingdom in our hearts, in our Christian community, and in this world. And so as we wrap up this series, I'm going to invite you to open up and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, to the very last parable. And this one is a little different than the ones we've looked at before, as Jesus himself is wrapping up his discussion on the kingdom parables. And so after having told all these parables to his disciples and to the large crowds that would come out to follow and hear Jesus. You you can imagine the kind of crowds that Jesus would draw when he would walk into a town and begin uh, people who had never walked in their lives when he would look at them and say, get up and walk. Or or someone who had died and he goes and he and he prays over them or or comforts them and, and all of a sudden they raise up. Or when Jesus starts teaching things that completely confound and and confuse and stump the religious and political leaders of his day you can imagine the kind of crowds that would draw to hear that and to see it and to experience it maybe hoping they could get just a piece of it and so Jesus was teaching these things both to his disciples and to his crowds and then he turns to them and in Matthew chapter 13 we look at verse 51 Jesus says have you understood all these things and they that's the disciples said to him Yes. Now, verse 51 is probably a verse most of us would just read through and then move on. But I just want to think about this because I'm like 95% confident the disciples just lied to Jesus. Um, You know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible, some that are set up as good examples for us to follow, and many that are set up not as good examples for us to emulate, but bad examples for us to learn from. And we're not really told whether this is a good or bad example, but I'm 95% confident that the disciples just straight up lied to Jesus' face and it's recorded in the Bible. Because you know they didn't understand. Twice in this chapter already, Jesus gave a parable. The disciples had to pull Jesus aside and go, what did you just say? We don't get it. Can you please explain this to us? Throughout the New Testament, like in the four Gospels, specifically as Luke records and, and, and Mark as well, the disciples are constantly confused. They're constantly like not quite getting it. And even when they do get it, it's for fractions of a second. When Jesus asks his disciples, who, who do people say that I am uh, in, in Caesarea Philippi and, and, and Eventually, Peter gets the right answer. You, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes. And then immediately, Peter starts trying to get on to Jesus and tell Jesus what he can and can't do. And, and Jesus has to get on to him. And so I just think it's funny. It, it's not really that significant in the story. I just wanted to pause because I think it's funny because I'm pretty sure they just lied to Jesus Because the answer should have been no, Jesus. Most of the time, we don't quite get it. And in fact, we won't get it until you rise from the dead. Because even after Jesus had died, uh, the disciples had no idea what to do next. Because they assumed that was the end. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they started connecting the dots. And so I just find that a little funny. We'll move on. That's enough of my rabbit trail. Uh, Verse 52. And so Jesus responds to them. And he said to them, 
Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, this is a little bit of a different parable. It generally doesn't get lumped into what we call the kingdom parables um, because this isn't exactly directly about the kingdom. But it's close enough, and I think it's appropriate for us today coming on the hills of uh, the election and looking forward. And so instead of teaching about the kingdom per se, Jesus is going to teach about those trained in the kingdom, those who have experience in the kingdom. And he does that by talking about a scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Remember, kingdom of heaven is Matthew's preferred expression for kingdom of God. We spent a lot of time talking about that in week one of this series. And he's like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Here's what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us. Is that those who understand the kingdom of heaven, those who understand their place in it, those who have been, quote, trained in it, they're able to take and merge the good from what is old and what is new. Now, as we've gone through this series, when we've been looking at Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, we've noticed a lot that Jesus has to confront misunderstandings about what people already thought they knew about the kingdom. He had to sort of tear down what they thought they knew so he could build up the truth of what the kingdom was like. Because people brought with them their own misunderstandings, their own preconceived notions, their own expectations. And Jesus had to sort of alter and change them to match with what reality of God's kingdom really was like. Because there's a shift when Jesus shows up on the scene. There's a shift between the old covenant that we read about in the Old Testament The covenant that God made with his people that said, I'm going to make you a blessing so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And many times that was interpreted as that blessing that God was going to give was ultimately going to be a piece of land. Or that blessing was ultimately going to be political autonomy. Or that blessing was ultimately going to be a large and powerful and ever-growing group of people. Now those three things were a sub-point, a sub-benefit of God's blessings, but they weren't the ultimate blessing. The ultimate blessing was Jesus. He was the blessing that was go- he was going to send to the Israelite nation to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so there were certain expectations that had to be altered. And Jesus says, someone who's trained in the kingdom, someone who's kind of like a scribe in the kingdom, They're able to take from what is old and the good from what is new and bring them together. They're able to build bridges. They're able to take what was good and right from expectations, but then also incorporate the truth and the reality of how God reveals himself to be and the ways in which he is working in this world. You know, we've spent a lot of time over the last year actually looking at a lot of those stories and a lot of those promises from the Old Testament, from the part that we often refer to as the Old Covenant. And then God makes a new covenant. Jesus, uh, on the last night of his life and ministry here on earth before his crucifixion, when he was celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples, when he instituted the Lord's Supper that we celebrate now, he took that cup, that wine, and he said, this now represents my blood, which is poured out for you, a new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. 
God establishes a new way that we relate to him. It's no longer tied to an ethnicity or a group of people. It's no longer tied to a particular geographic region. But it's tied to our faith and our trust in a God who loves all of his creation and has a plan and a purpose for our lives and a reason for creating us. And so just a few months ago, we went through a series called Overcomers where we walked through the Old Testament looking at stories of people who face tremendous obstacles in life. The kind of obstacles and challenges that make our last six months seem fairly petty. Yet because of their faith and their trust in God and in who he is and their faith that he would do what he said he was going to do, they overcome, they overcame whatever situation or circumstance they were facing. Even earlier this year, starting back in February, we did a series called The Grand Narrative, where we walked through the entire story of the Bible in seven weeks. We broke it up into seven chunks, looking at God's interactions and movement within history and this world. And we looked at how um, God continued to reveal himself. And Jesus here is saying that someone who's trained in the kingdom, someone who understands the kingdom, can build bridges. They can take the good from the old and combine it with the new. And there's several places in the New Testament where writers reflect on many of these old stories, the good from the old. And I want to look at those just quickly. One of them comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so we're going to start by looking at verse 11. So um, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to join me there. If you have your uh, phone open, hopefully you're following us along in the Bible app. If you went to more live events in Element Church, and you can see all these scriptures laid out for you. So let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. And it says, now these things, now Paul has just been talking about the very stories I just mentioned. The kind of things that we covered in the grand narrative. The kind of things that we covered in our series, Overcomers. About all these stories in which God moved and interacted with people and in history, both how people responded in positive ways and how people responded in negative ways. Because as we mentioned earlier, even though I think we might have caught the disciples lying, a lot of those stories in the Old Testament, they're stories of triumph. And a lot of them are stories of failure. And in the failures, we can learn lessons of what not to do, but we're also reminded of God's faithfulness, even despite our own weakness and failures. And so having just talked about these things in the previous 10 verses, Paul transitions. Now these things, so all those things in the Old Testament that we read about, the good and the bad, now these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The exact kind of things that Jesus was just referring to in his parable. That a scribe of the kingdom who's trained, who understands how the kingdom works, understands their place in the kingdom, can take the good from the old and combine it with the new. They can build bridges between what was and what was expected and the reality as God reveals it to us. These very things that Paul's referring to here. And he's saying those things that happened were, were done for our example and they were written down for our instruction. And here's what I want you to look at is what Paul says next. 
Now, this is not going to be too unfamiliar. If you've grown up in church or spent much time around church or, or the Bible, then, then especially verse 13 will probably be pretty familiar to you, though you might have never seen it in context and how it relates. Verse 12, so Paul's response to those things happened and were written down for our instruction. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond, what your, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now verse 13 is something that many of us have probably heard. Uh, we've seen it written on a Christian bookmark. You might have even been challenged in a church or youth group or something to memorize it. So that when temptation comes upon you in your life, you can stand firm with confidence knowing that God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, that he will provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath that temptation. That you do not have to give in to temptation to sin. And I think it's right and appropriate that we take verse 13 and we memorize it and we stand on it as a piece of truth in our lives when we face temptation to sin. However, in context, I want to look at how Paul originally used it. And he used it as he was reflecting back on the stories from the Old Testament. So what was Paul trying to say then? Why would we read the stories of the Old Testament would we face temptation? Well, he says, if anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Paul realizes that sometimes it's easy to read those stories of the Old Testament and think we're better than them. We're smarter than them. I would never make that dumb mistake. I would never say that. Maybe we even look at that and and say those things about the New Testament. When we look at Peter and how he often inserts his foot into his mouth in front of a lot of other people or even Jesus himself. I mean, not only did Jesus have to get on to Peter, Paul once had to get on to Peter and rebuke him publicly for being a hypocrite in the way he was handling himself. And it's easier for us to read back on those stories or read back on some of the things people did in the Old Testament and think, I'm better than that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't make those mistakes. And Paul says, as we reflect on those stories of old that happened as an example for us and were written down for our instruction, let us take heed lest we fall unless we be tempted to think we're better, we're smarter. Now, we certainly have the advantage of being on this side of the cross and knowing some things that they didn't know. But we experience weakness just like they did. We make foolish decisions sometimes just like they did. We are tempted to act in our own best interest instead of the interest of others just like they did. We are sometimes tempted to make ourselves God in our lives as opposed to making God God, just like they were. And so this original context of this verse about temptation comes as we reflect on the stories of old. But someone trained in the kingdom, someone who experiences the kingdom, someone who understands the kingdom are able to take the good from the old and use it as a positive example in their lives. I want to look at one more in Hebrews chapter 11. One more time when an author in the New Testament reflects on stories from the Old Testament. Uh, Last year, we did a series called Hall of Faith, 
where we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at many of the individuals who are outlined, and we looked at their stories and talked about how their examples of faith serve as models for our own lives. Not that any of these people were perfect. Many of them did some incredible things, showed tremendous faith, yet also made terrible mistakes in their lives. And so we take the good out of the old and combine it with what we understand now in the new as Jesus has revealed it, as we understand it, looking through it with the lens of the cross and the resurrection. And so reflecting on these great stories of old, the hall of faith, or we could say the faith hall of fame, people who stand as tremendous examples for us, the writer of Hebrews says this, these all died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth kind of some of the things we've been talking about in this series. That while we are citizens here, we are ultimately citizens of heaven, which in many ways makes us strangers and exiles here because this is not truly our home. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, specifically here he's referring to the Israelites and their travels, as we've talked about multiple times this year, at Element Church, and their experiences leaving Egypt and heading into the promised land that God had promised them, they would have had opportunity to return. So if these people had been dreaming of a physical piece of property, then when they didn't get what they were hoping for, they could have just gone elsewhere, is what the author is saying. They weren't just dreaming about a piece of dirt. They were dreaming about something different. The homeland they had in mind was different. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This goes right in line with what we've been talking about this whole series. That we are not only citizens here, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And it changes the way we live, it changes the way we vote, but ultimately it changes where we put our hope. Just like our key verse for this series. For we are citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is tied to a different residence, to a different country, to a different homeland, to a different citizenship. Then I love this phrase. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Don't you want that said about you? That God was not ashamed to be called your God? I mean, is there anything more that we could hope for? That God would not be ashamed to call, for us to call him our God? Because in the end, we weren't chasing after things on this earth. We were chasing things that had eternal value. Because our hope was not set on what happens here. Because our hope is not set on what happens uh, with the election. Our hope is not set and, and rooted in what happens at work. Our hope is not rooted and set in what happens with the housing market or our 401ks. Our hope is not even rooted in, in our own health. But ultimately our hope is rooted in heaven and in God's kingdom. And for people who live like that, who see their homeland, who long for a better heavenly country, 
writer of Hebrews says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because their hearts are after him. In this series, we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Specifically, the kingdom of heaven as Matthew portrays it in his writings. And I want to read something for you. This comes from a professor of New Testament, one of the largest seminaries here uh, in the U.S., a guy named uh, Jonathan Pennington. And he's writing about Matthew's perspective on the kingdom of heaven as he writes about it in his gospel. We spent almost the entire first week of this series not even looking at the parables in Matthew 13. We just talked about what is the kingdom of heaven and how does Matthew present it in his gospel. And I want to read something for you that... um, I just think provides a great perspective. It says, The inbreaking of the kingdom of God that has come in the Lord Jesus is radically different from the way you and I naturally think and act and different from the way we structure human society. So this kingdom is so much different than what we expect. It is unexpected, shocking, and topsy-turvy to human sensibilities. The unexpected and radical nature of the kingdom is why Jesus spends so much time trying to explain what this kingdom from heaven is like and why people so seldom understand. The Beatitudes give us an image of the blessed ones that is just the opposite of what we would naturally value. They were the poor in spirit, the persecuted, the mourning, the meek. The parables of the kingdom paint for us pictures where debtors are freely forgiven, where the smallest seed produces the largest tree, and where the last come workers receive the same reward. Jesus' model of life shows open-armed compassion for the downtrodden, the touching of the leper, the exalting of the lowly child, the welcoming of the Gentile or the foreigner, and the listening ear for blind, outcast beggars. As king of the universe... He enters Jerusalem not on a war horse or a golden chariot, but riding humbly on the foal of a donkey, just like our children's Bible story illustrated this morning. As king of all, he willingly rides into the city where iron nails will soon be used to hang him naked on a cross in the scorching sun. As this king instructs us, we learn that the one who wants to be first should not exercise an overbearing leadership style, but should be the slave of all. The one who is blessed by God with material wealth should set it aside to follow Christ. The one who desires to save his life must, in fact, die. Such is the radical nature of the vision of the kingdom that Jesus gives. Jesus says those who understand the kingdom can take the good from the old and combine it with the new perspective we have through the lens in which we see. And that lens is Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. That lens is his sacrificial death on the cross. That the king of the universe did not come to be served, but to serve. That's the kind of kingdom we long for. And that lens is the resurrection. Which Jesus was victorious over sin and death. Our king reigns supreme. And it's why we have hope in him. Because death and sin, persecution, could not hold him down. As those of us in the kingdom, we learn to take the good from the old and combine it with the new. Now Jesus, when he talked about building bridges between the old and new, he was not talking about building political bridges. 
So don't hear me say and put that in Jesus' mouth. But I think the principle applies. Because those of us who understand the kingdom should not only be able to build bridges between the old and the new, but between those who are like us and those who are different than us. That we should be the ones who set the example of what it means to build bridges with others for the good of those who need it. So whether you walk in excited about what it obviously looks like the election will will result in, or you come discouraged and frustrated, or maybe you're just frustrated regardless of who won through the whole system, we as those who understand and live in the kingdom build bridges. We build bridges to help people learn to have hope, not in this world, but in the one to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the time that we have to come and sit before you and to find hope. Hope in a season that, uh, at least in our culture and community right now, uh, just doesn't seem to offer any hope. And Lord, as we reflect on the kingdom, your kingdom, I pray that as we begin to understand it and see our place in it, that we would be those who build bridges who can help build bridges between the old and the new and those who can build bridges between groups of people in an effort to show the hope we have in Jesus with the with the purpose of sharing the gospel to everyone no matter what affiliation they may have I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute we're going to close with a song I want to read you some of the words from the chorus that we're about to sing. As we get to the chorus, we're going to sing, In my heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. That's what it means for Jesus to be king. For the kingdom of God, for the rule and reign of God to be true in your heart and life is to give him control from the inside out. We're going to sing, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. It's why we have hope in God's kingdom, because when everything else is dark, the light of God and his glory and his kingdom shine bright. And as kingdom agents, it's our job to share and to shine that light in our community. We'll close the chorus with this. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise. From the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out. It's our job as those of us who understand the kingdom to celebrate and praise God. To celebrate because of the kingdom. And that's our invitation to you right now. Will you celebrate God's goodness? Will you celebrate the light of his kingdom that shines in the midst of darkness? Will you cry out, God, consume me from the inside out. I give you control. I want you to rule and reign in my heart. I want you to be king. As we sing this song, it's an opportunity for you to declare that to be true in and over your life. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to not only think about these things, but to sing and to celebrate them as well. Would you be honored by all that we see, sing, all that we think, all that we do, all that we pray in this moment as we respond to who you are 
in the ways in which you're speaking to our hearts.